there, I'm Gordon Scanlon and welcome to the World Football Index podcast. We're going to be speaking today about the newly appointed Southampton manager Ralph Hasenhutl with Stevie Greve and we're going to touch on his background, his career and maybe a little bit about what Southampton fans can expect. Uh, welcome Stevie, how are you doing? Thanks, how are you? I'm, I'm good. very good, thanks very much. So I think we'll, we'll just get straight into it. So I was thinking maybe we'll ask you a little bit about his, his background, Stevie. Um, he, he had a fairly distinguished playing career and then he, he started coaching at a, a number of Liga 3 clubs in Germany, didn't he? Yeah, I think when, when you look through his, his playing career, he ended ended his career at the second Bayern Munich team. But at the time when, when he was a, a strong player for the national team, he only played about eight games, which I think at that point I remember being a young guy watching Scottish football and there was always Sturm Graz and Austria Vienna and teams like that on TV and you see his career he had a, a reasonably good career but I think most people will, will know him more as, as the coach who was previous at Red Bull Leipzig and I think due to the nature of German clubs and, and teams getting promoted over the last few years there's been teams that have jumped up from the third division up to the first division and I think he was he was part of the Ingolstadt staff that managed to get them into the top division and done reasonably well and in the two or three years he was there it's it's led to being able to give him a chance at Red Bull Leipzig and then obviously now it's Southampton. It, it seemed like his his first big break was when he's in his time at Ingolstadt. So he took Ingolstadt from the bottom of of uh, Bundesliga two and in his first season he finished mid table. And then in his second season he promoted them to the Bundesliga. And I remember thinking when Ingolstadt were promoted that there would be there would be relegation fodder in the Bundesliga and that they'd have no chance of staying up. And he led them to to an eleventh place finish. And that, that of course that's an that's an exceptional season. I was thinking, do you, do you think that unlike perhaps certain other managers like Jurgen Klopp, who tended to take to their third season before they had a real level of success, that that Ralph Hasenhüttl might have a, a faster impact at Southampton and his time his time at Ingolstadt might suggest that? I, th- I think if you've been a manager at a, at a relatively low level and you've been successful quickly, it shows that you've got a level of understanding of what is exactly required out of the players that you've got. You can't just instantly go and solve the problem by buying new players. He's looked at the staff, looked at the players and went, how do we play this way? And when you look at Ingolstadt going from where they were when he took over to being a mid-table team in, in the Bundesliga when he left, he's maybe looked at that and went, I don't know if I can continue to work miracles anymore, and then you leave. So, given that Southampton have actually got a reasonably good squad, they've been vastly underperforming for the best part of a year, that's a team which I think he could probably take somewhere like 12th to 14th if he gets his system in place. I think the way he played for, for Red Bull Leipzig was very transitional and would suit the English Premier League. So from that perspective, he's a, he's a much better fit for what Southampton needs than most other managers who might be available, and especially somebody like Mark Hughes, who, when Southampton gave him the job, there was arguably much better foreign candidates to get them out of that position that they were in. But Southampton's a progressive club and they've now looked at who, who's probably the best guy who's available. And I think Ralph hasn't always is one of the best that they could have found. So, t- touching on that now, he came into an RB Leipzig club that had already kind of formed its philosophy and it, it was now coming into the Bundesliga and they looked about and they saw the success that he'd had at Ingolstadt and 
all of the excellent, excellent attributes are, that he has. Uh, can you tell me maybe a little bit about what RB Leipzig were in 2016? Obviously, now they're an established club and we'll, we'll know most of their players, but coming into the Bundesliga in 2016 when Ralph Hassan, who took the job, they weren't just as established. No, but they had made a lot of investments in the Youth Academy. Joshua Kimmich, I think, was sold from Leipzig Youth Academy to Bayern Munich for, for about seven million. So they'd obviously had the partnership with Red Bull Salzburg, who I think at the time were far, far further down the road of being a bigger club or a more knowledgeable club in Europe that people would know about. So for them being a team in Germany, they could pluck players from the Austrian league from their partner club and help mould a, a really strong team. So I think they probably needed a guy who's, who's able to implement a really good style, who's maybe know somebody who's married to one specific method of play. And I think with Ingolstadt, from what I remember, they would sit in a low block, sometimes in a 5-4-1 and hit teams on the break and, and be quite pragmatic. Whereas Red Bull Leipzig were very attractive to watch in the sense that they would get it, they would try and pin teams in, they'd force them forward, they'd play kind of in a 4-4-2 box system, really attack-minded fullbacks, and obviously guys like Naby Keita developed really well, Emil Forsberg, Joseph Poulsen, so this is a guy who, it looks like he's not quite married to a system, but Red Bull Leipzig at that time, I don't know how much was expected of them, but I remember early on in that season, Oliver Burke came on and set up a goal for Leipzig to beat Borussia Dortmund, which probably made everybody more alert to them rather than going, well, we don't know what's, what's going to happen here, but he took them to a point where they were they were looking very dangerous really early on when he took them over. Um, in, that, in that first season in the Bundesliga, of course, is, you know, RB Leipzig finished second in the Bundesliga. It was one of those seasons, of course, where, where Bayern Munich ran away with it and they were, I think they were 15, 20 points ahead of RB Leipzig. The, the terrific side, uh, could you just touch a little bit on the, the tactical identity of the team, you know, the sort of system they played and um, who, who were the key men and what type of team was it that he built in that season? They, they were, uh, if, you, if you put football into three cycles, you have attacking cycle teams like Barcelona or Man City where they're playing in the attacking cycle and try to transition press and win the ball back. And you have defensive cycle teams, which is teams that, like Burnley that sit in their own half and play long balls and hope to survive. This team were more of a transitional team, a little bit like Liverpool in that they could attack you with the ball, but they would counter-press you and attack you again. If you don't have the ball, they would set traps and win it and counter-attack quickly, but after they've attacked, they would try and press you. So they were a team who, or if Barcelona are a team who really thrive in organised phases of play, Leipzig were a team who thrive in unorganised, chaotic, messy phases of play. And the more chaotic the game was, the more space that there was available for them and the more risks that they would take. So they were a team that set up kind of a 4-2-2-2. Both fullbacks would try and get forward. You'd have Diego Dem just kind of sitting in front of the the two centre-backs. Naby Keita would go box-to-box. He'd dribble, he would run, he would pass, he would do everything. Emil Forsberg would be more of a creative player. And then Yusuf Poulsen would be somebody who would, would try and stretch the game. So I think when you look at the way that they played, they could be interchangeable between the teams, uh, players that they would have in the system, but you would have some constants. And I think um, Willie Orban at centre-back was always a really strong player for them because he would be able to win the ball 
deep in his own half that he would have the range of passing to get them to get them forward. He'd break the lines, and then what I what I liked about them was that they weren't completely structured all the time. Sometimes the fullbacks would go up, sometimes they'd stay deeper, and strikers would move wider, attacking midfielders would move wide, but. What was always good about them is that they would try and completely overload the middle and press really quickly, really organised. So to get the team to the point where they look organised when the game is chaotic takes a lot of coaching and a lot of being really specific about what you want. And that team for me was was a team I enjoyed studying because of how chaotic the nature of the game was, but at the same time how successful it was with a lot of players who maybe weren't household names at the time. I, th- I think what was really interesting as well about that is you were touching the counter-pressing and you know, RB Leipzig, you were saying they already had the identity of counter-pressing under Ralph Ranić, who of course went on to become the, the sporting director, but I, I feel that Ralph Hasenhutl married that counter- counter-pressing ideology of Leipzig, who you could argue at the time there was, it was always spoken about he was kind of the anti-peh, I mean, he was almost happy for the other team to have the ball and as you were saying he sets his traps and the counter pressing but I felt probably in that season they became a little bit more of a they were happier to have the ball and have possession as well so I feel like Ralph Hasenhutl is a head coach who marries the philosophy of the club and his own philosophy quite well because if you look at his previous club at Ingolstadt they didn't really play that kind of as you were saying that 4-2 kind of 4 system with a the two inverted, almost inverted wingers. Uh, so, uh, do you think that Ralph Ranić marries the his philosophy and the club's philosophy that he goes to very well? It's hard for me to say because he's only really been in in the one club where it's been noticeable. So, I mean, if you take somebody like Guardiola, you know, everywhere he goes, he's going to have the same sort of system. There's a lot of coaches who don't have the same system when they go between when they go between clubs. So, you look at that Southampton team and you say, right. How are they going to be successful trying to attack teams against better teams? Probably not. Yeah. Are they good enough to just sit in a low block and defend against teams and be successful? Probably not. So he's going to have to find a way where he gets the most out of those players. And that, that's what I said before. I think that team probably is suited to playing a transitional style, which is how he plays. There's no real set structure or anything like that where you go, oh, this, this is very positional. The, the way that he plays maybe um, Emil Heuberg will be different to how he played with Naby Keita because obviously the physical differences and the tactical differences are there. So, um, and they have different technical qualities. So if he uses James Ward-Prowse as kind of uh, in the Emil, Emil Forsberg role, it might be different. He might use Gabi Adini and have him stretch the game with Charlie Austin and play with two really high-up strikers. So there's lots of different ways where you could do it. It'll be interesting to see, to see how he does it. Some coaches like they are they're so married to their own philosophy that sometimes it, it won't work in specific clubs with the playing staff that he has. I, I get the feeling that he's one of these modern Central European managers who are kind of flexible about how they want to set their team up because ultimately it comes down to how successful you are. Know what your thoughts in the game are. People have got great thoughts in the game, but their team gets beat and nobody cares. So... I think with the squad and the players he has that they will be like a Liverpool light yeah. in that they want to, they'll be similar to Klopp, loads of counter-press and loads of transitions, but less organised than Liverpool in possession. But 
that ultimately what Southampton's yeah. job right now is to get out the danger zone and, and sign some players in January who can give them a wee bit more quality. Ideally, ideally somebody who can get them a couple of goals and somebody who's going to play centre-back and defend the box against the better teams, which you know they've obviously lost in the, in the last few years and said Sadio Mane and Van Dijk going to Liverpool. Speaking about his success at Leipzig in his first season, of course, he had that tremendous season where they finished second in the league. In the second season, it wasn't just as successful. And they ended up, it was the last day shootout. It was about six different teams and they could have qualified for the Champions League or finished outside the European spots altogether. They ended up finishing sixth place and you could see the big difference. was that they ended, I think they conceded an extra 14 league goals or something and they just didn't quite reach those heights. Do you, do you think perhaps the reasoning for that was playing Champions League football and have more depth to it or do you think there was there was deeper reasons to probably not having the same level of success in the second season? I think maybe in the first season they overperformed. So maybe maybe if they finished fifth the first season people would go well, sixth isn't so bad. But if you overperform drastically by finishing second people say well, sixth is a disaster. So the context and the, the perception of what you did the season before is going to be um, a reference point to how you view the second season. So, because they overperformed, maybe the second year is a disaster. But the Bundesliga is one of the most competitive leagues in the world. Sometimes you're going to have really strong teams finishing seventh or eighth. Sometimes you've got surprise teams coming through. Like that year, I think, was the year where um, Thomas Tuchel had just taken over from from Jurgen Klopp, and he's still implementing this style. So. And then they managed to compete a little bit more the second season. So it's like you have a you have a couple of underperforming teams which give you that opportunity to finish higher, and then you overperform. So I think that the, the Bundesliga is one of those leagues where you can finish second one year, finish sixth the next year, and nobody will blink an eye. It's the same with the English Premier League. Like Tottenham can finish second one year and then sixth the next. It can happen in, in any league. So. There's maybe things that went on behind the scenes that nobody knows about other than the manager and the sporting director and the staff or, or some of the players. But you have, in the second season, um, loads of other factors like Bayer Leverkusen being, being stronger, um, Borussia Dortmund getting better. So it's one of those things where you can't take it as it being a failure because a failure would be relegated, a failure would be 15th. Whereas they still came sixth, they still ended up in Europe, and and now more people around the world know who Red Bull Leipzig are. So, and I think a big part of that is the coach. Yeah, moving on now. So he's, he had two excellent seasons at Leipzig. Uh, he left Leipzig at the end of that season. Ralph Ranić uh, took charge of that again. Of course, now he's just recently become the Southampton manager. Now, do you think that he's taken the Southampton job to put himself in the shop window and? perhaps do what Mauricio Pochettino did and he's ended up now at Tottenham Hotspur or do you think that he can really achieve something special at Southampton? For many managers it's a stepping stone. Do you want to work in a different league? Is it, the good, is it a good club? Is it a good scenario? I remember doing Champions League with Steve Coppel and asking him about job selection being an important thing and he said if you look at 92 clubs in England, there are maybe 20 jobs you want, 72 that you definitely don't want. And within the 22 clubs, there's maybe five or six which are only available every few years. If you look at that at the English Premier League right now, is Southampton a team who should be in the bottom three and should be getting relegated? My, my argument would be no. So do you hold off for 
a bigger team than Southampton who have got a lot of potential? Or do you let Southampton pass you by and maybe go to a Newcastle, which we all know hasn't got the best situation behind the scenes and Rafa Benitez is struggling? Or do you wait for a Brighton or a Huddersfield, you know, a team which don't have the biggest potential to challenge to get into Europe? We know Southampton have got that potential because they've shown it and they've got a, a highly functioning youth academy which can supplement the first team. So Southampton's one of those those small group of clubs in the English Premier League which might be available who have got a lot of potential, like maybe a Watford did for Marco Silva or a Hull did for Marco Silva. So for him, it's, I can take over this team do a good job and maybe a bigger team will take me whereas Southampton are in my opinion one of the top 10 teams in England anyway if he does really well is he going to go to a Man United probably not but is he potentially maybe going to go to Tottenham if Pochettino was to go to Real Madrid or somewhere like that possibly so you're maybe looking at it going Southampton top 10 do well break into the top 5 or maybe go back to Germany and take over a Leverkusen or a Dortmund or someone like that further down the line. So it's, there's many, many reasons why somebody would want to take over a job, but Southampton's an attractive one. For me, it's much more attractive than than a team where you, you feel like you're going to struggle or, or it's a, a, a specific location geographically where it's going to be difficult to find players who want to go there. Southampton's, from what I'm aware, is a nice city and it's close enough to London that, you know, it's attractive for, for international players. So there's many reasons why he would he would be attracted to that. But football coaches aren't really motivated by just taking over a team and coaching for the sake of it. Coaches want to be successful. And I think Southampton is one of those clubs where being a success is, is something which is um, realistic. And maybe next year, maybe they target an FA Cup place and getting back into the top eight, that sort of thing. So... For him, if he does well, then there's obviously the stepping stone to, to something bigger. I think I think it's really interesting as well. I think if you look at the structure of the Premier League just now and over the last couple of seasons, you've you've pretty much got that top six or, or top seven. But if you look beyond that, there's not really been anything between the teams placed, say, seventh or eighth to about 14th or 15th. And you've maybe got a basement of about four or five teams have not got many points. In fact, you look last season at one point, Marco Silva had Watford in seventh and it was the best thing since sliced bread. But losing two games from that seventh position can get you down to 13th, 14th and winning two games from 13th, 14th can put you into seventh. And it seems to me that if he, if he comes in, his first job will be to get them away from that pack of bottom five and into that, into that kind of middle pack. And once you're in that middle pack, you only need to go in a good run of form and then you can establish yourself in the, the higher positions in the, the top end of the table. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And I think, you know, leagues like the English Premier League where you can have a couple of bad results and drop down six places, but you have two good results and jump up eight places. It's Marco Silva, I think, did a, a really good job at Hull. Got the Watford job. Did really good at Watford. It looked like he got his head turned, but he ended up at Everton anyway. So maybe hasn't Huttle will be in the same position now. Let's just say, theoretically, he does a great job with Southampton. Liverpool like his style of play, similar to Klopp. If Klopp goes and takes, say, the Germany job or the Bayern Munich job or something like that, maybe Hazen Huttle steps in because his style of play maybe fits entire Liverpool play. So there's, there's, there's loads of reasons why somebody can do it. But I think if you're a football coach, the first thing you're looking at is can I be successful? Because even if you map out a career plan for you, there's loads of bumps along the road. It's not as, as linear as people want to believe in. 
the guy's the guy's done well in jobs that he's had before, and I think if you take over Ingolstadt at the bottom of the third division in Germany, it's maybe a dream come true that yeah. you end up working at the English Premier League in four years. So something that that interests me is I, I look at the Southampton squad, and we, we spoke a little bit about the tactical identity at Leipzig earlier on, and I see Southampton players that I think he could reinvent into those roles, and Stuart Armstrong, for instance, has been an exceptional form in the last couple of games and perhaps he could go into that inverted winger position but they've also got the likes of Mario Lamina and a Hoiberg who are doing a terrific job in the middle of the field do you think that he's going to try and implement a similar style to Leipzig at Southampton and if you do do you think Southampton currently have the types of players that that he would implement that system with? I think I think there'll be a lot of similarities, yeah. So if you take um, Mario Lamina and Pierre Hoiberg, they might be the two base in midfielders. Then you might have Armstrong as one of the the, the front two attacking midfielders. Maybe James Ward-Prowse and, and Stuart Armstrong have a nice balance between creativity, set pieces, and energy. There a bit of creativity in the sense that Ward-Prowse has got a lovely range of passing. Stuart Armstrong's good at getting in the box and finishing attacks which is obviously really important and then if you take some of the strikers I'm a fan of Charlie Austin because I like guys that get in the box and score goals I'm not too fussed if you have four attacking midfielders or four central midfielders that the strikers go and link the game I don't think there's a need for that so between Gabby Adini and Austin you've maybe got two guys who are going to try and stretch the game and Cedric and Suarez and Ryan Bertrand as wing-backs going down the outside and connecting with the the, the midfielders and the attacking midfielders and able to get into the byline and put balls in the box. I think there's there's enough similarities between um, the composition of the squad um, between Southampton and Leipzig that he could implement the same sort of style with the same sort of intensity. What I would say is that you would probably need a wee bit more depth to replace guys like Romina or Ward Prowse or Pierre Heuberg in central midfield and I think you would probably need better backup for the fullbacks if they're going to play a really intense high pressing system because um, we all know the English Premier League is really intense so to do that you need backups for some games because you're going to need to rest people or you're going to get injured or suspended so it'll be interesting to see what he does in the transfer market because they've done it early enough that he's going to have three weeks before the transfer window comes to quickly assess the squad on a day-to-day basis because before he took the job he'll have analysed that squad properly and found out everything to do with contracts, bonuses, um, people's personality types, who maybe is already unhappy in the squad and who might already be wanting to leave. So all of these things that you would want to know before the transfer window, they've given themselves enough time so that he can make quick decisions based on what do they need. And I think it will be really interesting to see in the next few weeks does he implement the same style of play at Leipzig? Because I think it's certainly possible. Um, and which players does he identify to get in to help him help him do that? I, I, I loved watching RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga, especially that first season, that 16-17 season. And I loved watching Werner and Poulsen as a front two and the way they pressed and their sheer pace. And I think it was excellent. I think Danny Ings could do an excellent job up there. I wonder whether he'd look for someone, if he was going to go with that two system, where he'd look for someone who's of a similar athleticism as well, maybe to give you, give you more running beyond as well. 
or maybe a different type, maybe a, a physical striker. And but of course, Southampton have been playing the three in midfield. So it'll be interesting to see how he how he uh, manages the midfield unit as such. But I think one of the big the big things between the two seasons was maybe guys like Timo Werner were not unknown, but they weren't as famous as what they were after the first season. So you go into a game and you're like, oh, this guy's quite good and that guy's quite good. And the second season, people are going, this guy's amazing. Timo Werner's finishing ability, he can play on both sides, he can play through the middle. Like they're, they're guys who are really hard to find. So it would be interesting to see if he can coach somebody within either from the youth academy or who's already in the first team squad to improve them enough to be able to do these roles because sometimes you already have the profile of somebody like Timo Werner, they just need the right coach. So yeah, I would I would agree with that that, you know, if they're looking for maybe a physical striker to go with a runner and a traditional big man, little man, for example, somebody who's more static and somebody who's more mobile, maybe they already have that within the squad. But I'd be interested to see what does he do in terms of the strikers that they have, because I think they do actually have decent strikers, but it's more reliant on the type of service that they get. And I don't think either Gabby Adini or Charlie Austin are central strikers in the front three. I'm I'm genuinely really excited to see how he does just wrapping up. I, I think my probably the, the happiest thing I am is that we're not going round the managerial merry-go-round again and Alan Pardew's got another job of that type, at least. Uh, clubs like Southampton are looking to other markets and, and I'm genuinely interested to see how Southampton will do over the next six months of course and as you said, six months down the line um, he's got a better chance to recruit in a better window in July than the notoriously tough uh, January transfer window I think it's very exciting and uh, just just finishing up uh, Stevie could you tell me a little bit about your, your tactical teacher programme? Yeah, um We've been working on making a, an app. So just now we have kind of the first bunch of modules out. We've called it Level 1, but it's not really a Level 1. Um, there's four modules. There's an introduction to using a base positional system. There's positional attacking concepts. We've got defending concepts and pressing systems, which is kind of the first module. It's about 180 slides in detail. There's videos, diagrams, images, explanations. There's tasks because a lot of the best ways to learn is by actually having to think about stuff so that's been that's already been out since February it's done really well loads of clubs around the world using it loads of loads of coaches a couple of federations so that's been good feedback's been, been fantastic I think most people who use it will will find a big benefit to it um, the app's been in development for ages the problem is we keep encountering those bugs so we'll try to iron out all the bugs and then the second um, set of courses is just ready to launch once the app is launched so there's going to be um, a dominating possession module which is about 100 slides in depth about different ways to manipulate the opponent to actually maintain possession and, and bring yourself up the field and maintain control um, there's a module on controlling transitions so to organise your team in possession so that you can defend the counter attack before it happens how to counter press uh, recovery running, different methods of counter-pressing um, and counter-attacking. So, again, similar to level one, there's diagrams, images, tasks, videos, all that sort of stuff. And then we also have one for session plan methodology. So the things that you might take into account when putting together session plans. And then there's a, the final module is implementing a style of play. 
Um, and we've used one of the teams that I coached last year as like a template for how it should all look, different videos, explanations of it. Um, and then I think there's about 40 session activities where the objectives, principles, sub-principles and sub-sub-principles for how to implement sessions across team play, group play, unit play and individual play. So it's, it's pretty in-depth. It's A lot of work's gone into it. It's really beneficial for people and so far, based on the feedback being on, of level one being, being absolutely fantastic, the level two is so much better. That, that's excellent. That's, that sounds terrific, Stevie. I'm, I'm sure I'll, I'll follow that on your, your Twitter account, which is at Stevie Grieve, isn't it? Yes. Excellent. Well, th- thanks very much uh, for coming on today, Stevie. Uh, it's been it's been excellent. It's been great having a chat about Ralph uh, Hassenhutel. Very excited to see uh, how he gets on. Uh, you can find me, uh, Gordon Scanlon, a football coach and analyst from Scotland, on my Twitter account, at Gordon Scanlon, S-C-A-N-L-A-N. And uh, thanks very much. Thank you.